I absolutely believe in miracles, being a woman of faith, but what am I supposed to do if I'm not healed and how can I believe that it's not my fault? One of the most powerful and healing things anyone has ever said to me on my own journey with mental health is simply, it's not your fault. The woman on the phone who said those words to me in my deep distress was right. But so often I wrestle with deep-seated questions of why me? What's wrong with me? What am I being punished for? What did I do wrong? The answer is nothing. Like millions of others who experience a mental health issue in their lifetime, one in five Canadians, in fact, I have an ongoing mental health diagnosis. And it's not my fault. It's just another part of my existence that brings both suffering and insight, challenge and care, depending on the day. I absolutely loved this conversation with mental health advocate, mother, podcaster, and writer Shaylee Hugendorn, who continues to share her story of living with bipolar 2 in as many ways as she can to as many audiences as are out there. And she took me through her process of diagnosis, wrestling, and acceptance. She is a witty, powerful, fiercely intelligent woman of faith and action with first-hand experience of what life can be like once you learn to accept all of who you are in all its wild and wonderful complexity. So Shaylee, where do you want to start? I mean, there's so much that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such a rich and, and varied story. What do you want to talk about first? Um, I guess maybe introduce mm-hmm. um, my story. So I have known probably since around high school that I have very, very big feelings. <laughs> and I feel things um, very deeply. And I always knew just talking to friends and having a very relaxed family that is not like me at all <laughs> that I, you know, uh, somewhat what I got termed as as a drama queen. But um, and I think that I um, experienced probably my first depression in high school and um, into my 20s. And especially um, when things, you know, get hard in university, I would lapse into really, really um, deep depression and deep sadness. But it was interesting because I was like, I was numb, but yet I was carrying grief at the same time. So I was still feeling, but yet numb to who I, who I really am. And then it, we started noticing that it was a pattern. So it would be li- literally from October until May. And then I would call it the switch. And then, um, color came back and the world came alive. And in fact, I had <laughs> a lot of ideas and a lot of things I wanted to do. And um, I knew I had this panicky feeling that I had to do it within before October because I knew I thought that that was the actual me, um, which I, I am quite high energy regularly. But um, yeah, I so for years and years and years, we thought that I had depression. And so um, 
what would come with the the next stage, so for the May to September, would be um, excitement and I would be all over the place and talk rapidly. But what I didn't realize was um, like the crippling anxiety that came with it. Because I don't have social anxiety, because I'm an Enneagram 7 and I am, um, I think I've I've done 98% extrovert on all the tests. <laughs> and so I, I didn't present as, um, I didn't quite fit into the boxes, um, in, in mental health. And so whenever I would go for help, it would actually be just during the depressive episodes. So I had, so they would say, you have depression. So I would take depression medication and, um, it wouldn't work. Um, Fast forward a lot of years, having babies and doing all those things with your emotions all over the place. Um, in fact, what we now know is a hypomanic episode. I wouldn't sleep ever when the baby slept and I would stay up all night and rearrange my kitchen or I would make a new family chart of our entire life and those kinds of things. And so we're like, oh, you know, I don't, this isn't you know, average or, or I don't see this happening in, in others' lives. And, um, I guess it all came to a, to a head when I was given, um, a certain medication for anxiety. And as the anxiety, um, ramped up, we upped the medication. And what we didn't know is that it caused me to rapid psycho. Okay. So we're talking about bipolar here. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. So then that is how, um, I got my diagnosis. So it, I started rapid cycling and rapid cycling to the point where I was sleeping maybe two hours a night with children, young wow. children, three and five. And um, the one night I couldn't calm down and I couldn't sleep. And I l literally felt like if I don't sleep tonight, like I, I'm, I will die. I, I can't do this. Felt like physically, like my body wouldn't work anymore. And that if, I couldn't just get the sleep I needed. Like I couldn't be up by myself in the night, in the dark anymore because like things don't seem real in the night. Like you, you have all these ideas, but you can't talk it out. So they don't seem as bizarre as they actually are. And mm -hmm. you're alone with them. So you have no one to help you sort it out. So I woke up my husband and I said, if I don't go to sleep tonight, I perhaps I might die. So I think maybe we should go to Emerge and I need a medication to help me sleep. That's, that's it. And, um, you know, I felt like that evening, uh, you know, I was pleading with God, like, please, I know you can heal people. Like, could you, I don't even need to be healed. Can I just sleep? And I just felt really strongly that I needed to fight for my health that night. Um, as much as I could. And so doctors weren't listening. No, there's no way you could have bipolar. I'm like, but I, I fall into all the symptoms. Well, no, you wouldn't have a degree or you wouldn't have this. You wouldn't be able to get it together to have the type of life you have. And so I went to Emerge that night and um, they gave me said medication. However, you can't really ask without having like intense interviews. Apparently they don't just give it out. <laughs> but um, so we went through it all. They separated me from my husband, you know, in case there was anything there. And um, I just told them like, I, I need to get better. Like, I need to get better. Please don't just, 
you know, um, send me home and never, and, you know, not talk to me again. I need uh, observation. I need something. And so I went home and I slept. And then we went back the next day and I, I talked to someone and we, we talked about all the things and they told me, um, they asked the dreaded question, which needs to be asked is, oh, you know, are you, um, a harm to yourself or others? Could you be? And, and it was no, and it was no with my husband. And, um, and so they're like, well, you, you know, you can't stay here because I kind of, honestly, I, at that point, I wanted to be admitted. I wanted, I, I didn't see how, um, we could really figure it out until like they, you know, watched me or I just didn't think they were going to see it or, or listen. And so, um, at that time, so you're on the, like kind of on the ward, but you're not like before you get into it. I, I vaguely remember. So, I, but I was in a room, um, with my husband and there was like cameras and it was very bizarre. And I was just, um, agitated and I was like, please, like almost saying, please, can I stay? So they uh, didn't let me stay. So I kind of felt like a failure at that. <laughs> but they did find there's this place that's, um, it's not a part of the hospital, but it's called Crest with two S's. And I'll see if I can remember what it stands for, because I just think of it as the toothpaste place. But it's <laughs> community, residential, I don't know what the E, but short stay program. And so you can go, and I read about it, and they have one of the best psychiatrists. And so I went, packed up my stuff, and I went, and um, I stayed there um, about a week um, and mostly I went one cause I heard of the psychiatrist and I knew maybe they could, we could finally get down to it. And also because I had to wean off the meds and put on new meds. And there was like this 2% chance that you could get like a rat, this terrible rash. Mm. Um, and so I didn't want to go through that with, in front of my children. And so I went there and we came out with a diagnosis of, um, bipolar two, which that basically the difference is, is that you don't get the full blown mania, you get hypomania. So it's just kind of like a muted, um, mania. And yeah, uh, according to my files, which I, for some reason demanded, I needed a copy of, um, all the notes. Um, yeah, that I was on my way to psychosis, but not quite there. So that's kind of my diagnosis story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just letting that sink in. What I pick up from that is that you fought for yourself. Mm. And also, it sounds like um, life was full and hard, especially with little kids. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? What kind of support uh, you needed or that you were getting? And then maybe how you found your voice in terms of advocating, because a lot of people um, aren't able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I was a uh, stay-at-home mom. I was the organizer of our home life, (laughs) which I like to put it. And so um, I always, 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 always wanted to have littles. I, um, I really loved you know, my job of, of taking care of the kids. And so, um, I poured everything into that. I was, um, we had to keep busy. I, 
uh, probably overscheduled myself. I didn't like, we were in a small townhouse. And also I was like the stay-at-home mom that didn't want to stay at home. Mm-hmm. So I went to Strong Start and I went to every, <laughs> you know, daytime women's thing at the church. I even went to, uh, it was like a Tuesday morning and I actually didn't really enjoy um, or want to read any of the specific books or Bible studies they were doing, but there was childcare. Yes. <laughs> so I went for the coffee and childcare. I have Don't to we all? <laughs> I have signed up for so many things where I'm like, I don't care what you're going to teach me. I don't even care if I agree with it, but there's free childcare and you're going to give me snacks. I'm there. Done. Right. <laughs> Done. Yeah. And so um, luckily I had beautiful community. And in fact, so I went to Strong Start and then I realized it was more, it seemed more about like how well you played with your kids with the toys and not so much connecting with the mom. So I actually, with some friends, started a different group at our our church. It was called Moms on a Mission and eventually called Flourish. And um, where it was focused on the mom because we met in the nursery of our church and it was a community program. And um, we had um, older women come and make us lattes. And we, it was all about the women talking and connecting and trying to, you know, just be real while the kids played. And, um, once a month we would have, um, actual childcare and we would just do something, whether it was like, uh, you know, jewelry making or someone would come in and talk to us about this or just it, a lot of it was hands on stuff so that we could like create something that for ourselves that didn't have to, do with the kids, like not a kid craft, like we would make bath salts or we would do things mm-hmm. like that, or we'd have speakers come in. Um, so yeah, I created that group. And just to tell you how, what state I was <laughs> in or what type of person is, I gave birth to my second daughter on Saturday and I held one of the events on the following Wednesday. <laughs> Cause that's how I rolled. <laughs> and um, giving birth and then right after I I would be very very high so it was almost a little bit then they called it postpartum um, anxiety which I didn't understand because I thought I was supposed to be sad or angry but I was just really ridiculously high on everything Mm -hmm. and so yeah luckily I I do have a strong community being an extrovert I I have and had um friends and friends that were going through similar things. Um, I have a super rad uh, supportive husband. Um, none of our family lived here, so that was hard. We didn't have a lot of relief that way with, with childcare or help. Um, but yeah, I had had community and there were, you know, a, a couple people that I could be completely honest with. So that was... That was good. And the finding my voice part, I think, had I only had depression, I don't know if I would have found my voice myself. Having uh, hypomania, one of the actual beautiful parts of it is that you cannot not say what you're thinking. Like, I actually feel it's physically painful to not say what I'm thinking, I feel like that would hurt more or there would be more consequences to that than saying the hard things or than saying, uh, you know, the wild things or whatever. And so I th- honestly, I think that actually um, 
uh, helped. And I think I wanted to get help more than ever for my kids. Yeah. Because even though I gave them everything and they didn't really experience m- much of it, um, I mean, they were so young, they didn't know. And I was the type that I could get out of bed. Yeah. Right. And I kept going. I didn't enjoy anything. And I wanted to go to sleep until the switch, I called it. Um, but uh, I think that's probably why, you know, they call it high functioning, which I don't even like the name because it makes it sound like there's a hierarchy, right? Like oh, I'm high functioning. But it it doesn't make a difference. You're still suffering. You just, it's less noticeable. That's all. Yeah, or it's harder to access support, like you were talking about yeah. the doctors not believing you or yeah. saying you were fine. Yeah, right? Because I'd come in and I'd, of course, I looked like the Google doctor, right? I'd be like, look, there's this and my husband agrees. And, and they would be like, well, you have your degree and you're, you know, you're taking care of your children and you're running a group and you're doing this. I really think you wouldn't be able to do that if you were you know, this, this, and this. And I was like, all right. And so, especially bipolar, I mean, I didn't know a lot about it except for the really terrible presenta- representation we have in media and and such. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard when there's stereotypes out there. Um, and most of them are dramatized and very extreme. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really damaging to only see that. I think we're a bit coming to grips with, um, depression and anxiety and it's more, we're more talking about it, um, that way. And I think people are opening up and, and understanding it a little bit. I think, but any, the other diagnoses, like bipolar, right? Schizophrenia, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things, they, I feel like they carry this extra, extra weight. And, and and it even took me a few more years after my diagnosis to claim the word. Like claim it back and be, right? I was almost like stigmatizing myself, right? I didn't want to be considered in, in that group, right? And so, yeah, I didn't say the big B word until... Um, uh, yeah, I spoke at an event and I just threw it out there. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I haven't gone back. So, hmm. so how have things changed since that experience of being in the mm-hmm. hospital, going to um, Cress <laughs> for a week, and and getting your diagnosis? How has your life shifted? So, um, definitely, um, we 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 got the right medication. Really, um, it probably took several uh, months afterwards because you could only go up by a certain dose and this specific mood stabilizer um, you have to be at quite a high dose and so that took a while so uh, those six months were probably really hard I was really relieved but really terrified and really angry Mm -hmm. as well so why were you angry and afraid so I was well I was angry. I think it was a combination because I was, I think I was angry. Um, the huge shadow side of hypomania is, um, is the anger side. So my anxiety, um, isn't totally fear based. It doesn't look like that. It looks like I'm just so frustrated. Like people can't keep up. They're not understanding. They don't understand this. I have this huge sense of urgency and that things will be catastrophic if they aren't done immediately and people don't work at my pace and so 
um, yeah, I think coming down from that and experiencing that anxiety, but also just feeling so misunderstood and so like, what is it going to be like now? And this has been a huge life experience and I'm all about connecting and sharing stories and honesty and vulnerability. And how am I going to share this and been be, how's it going to go over? And also, you know, am I going to lose leadership roles in the church? Am I going to lose, like, when I go back to work, are they going to let me teach? Like, all those things. And at one point, I was like, even though I was still doing an amazing job, there's, like, are if people find out, are they going to take away my kids? Are they not going to want to hang out with me or, or my children? Those kinds of things. So I think that and switching off the medication, like weaning off, going back on. And, and yeah, and I was... I almost, part of me was like, do I want this? Because the the high part, like the anxiety was worth it for me to get the high and the creativity. And I was like, who am I without that? And am I those um, attributes of my, what I thought was my personality, are they fake? Are, am I even going to be able to be that person that I actually really, part, lo- half of it love? And so I was just yeah, all around confused, chemicals uh, messed up and dealing with, um, yeah, a surprising yet not surprising diagnosis. So did you lose friends? Did you lose leadership roles? Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, I think I pushed some people away. Um, especially, um, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't have a churchy church story. Like I, I hung out with a lot of people that had, um, a specific stereotypical story, which was beautiful for them, but grew up in a Christian home, never strayed, never did all the right things, you know, did it in order, got married, all those things. And so I already felt like I didn't completely fit in. Um, you know, this made-up ideal Christian woman um, in the first place. And I already knew people knew because I talked about these at these groups I went to about, uh, you know, being sad. And so I think that I didn't give some people a chance because I didn't want to to hear. Yeah, I just, I, I knew that my heart would just break. So I kind of um, pulled back a bit. I, I did feel quite alone because I needed to, I wanted to find a bit of community that, that was experienced similar things, but yet I didn't want that either. And there was, um, there was one woman who lived in my complex, went to my church that, uh, dealt with an eating disorder and severe depression. And I felt like I, I could talk to her. So, yeah. but the others, yeah. And when I did talk, you know, they say some of the things that, hurt and scared me the most despite their best intentions so what kind of things would you have hoped to hear when you were in the midst of that medication change and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think i think just listening honestly is letting me uh, uh share and not giving me platitudes or giving me advice. Um, I just, I was given 
different advice, like, you know, write out prayers, uh, you know, what un, what is it, un, I want to say diagnosed, but that's not the word. What hidden sin do you have in your life that is causing this? Like all, I felt like a lot of people thought it was my fault. So maybe just, um, seeing that one, it wasn't my fault and maybe even telling me that mm-hmm. and reassuring me that you're loved anyways. Um, and such. And, um, I think it would have meant a lot to me. And I think that's why, um, I clung to certain friendships that, that where they did struggle or had struggled, just learning about it, learning about it to try to under caring enough to understand. Yeah. Not just it's going to be okay. Or here's a really beautiful Bible verse and such. And just, um, talking a lot about, about healing. And I've been dealing with it so long. I absolutely believe in miracles, being a woman of faith. But what am I supposed to do if if I'm not healed? And how can I believe that it's not my fault? Mm-hmm. Those are big questions that a lot of people work through. Um, either when they're dealing with a uh, mental health crisis in family members or mm-hmm. in themselves. Um, you know, when I got my diagnosis it took me uh i filled my prescription Mm. uh, after holding on to the piece of paper for about three months and then (laughs) took me another six months to actually fill it and then another three months to actually take it and i work in mental health (laughs) wow yeah so that kind of stigmatizing you know it, it happens within us and and around us yes um and I did, I, like you, I didn't want to talk about it Mm-mm. because I didn't want to lose the social contracts and the, mm-hmm. the standing I had in my community. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Yes. You run a ma- an online magazine called She Loves. Mm-hmm. I am a part of the leadership team. Yeah. Um, you do something called Messy Beauty. Yes. Um, and you mentioned that you do some public speaking. So yes. how did you get here? Um, well, I've always loved, um, speaking in front of groups and I'm very justice oriented, social justice oriented. So I would talk about those things. Um, and I think that when I finally claimed, um, you know, I wanted to take back the, the power that the word bipolar had over me, um, I think then I started sharing publicly um, about that. So the public speaking part, I always like, but I pictured myself talking about like more like human trafficking or uh, different issues like that. And, you know, if I'm completely honest, things that made me, uh, wasn't my most vulnerable thing and made me look better because I cared about these things and was going to mm. be a voice with and uh, for people that, uh, struggled and um it was actually through she loves that i i i found my voice i it had been going she loves has been around for quite a long time and i had met um some of um the women at a conference specifically let she is the editor-in-chief the founder and i just adored her we just clicked and for years we talked about meeting up or or working together or, and i told my husband when i started reading the magazine when i was home alone with the kids that like i'm gonna work with them someday. i just know i'm i'm drawn to this it's it's different it's women of faith 
Um, but in like complete, they talk about hard things mm-hmm. and, and social justice and women telling their stories. Cause basically it put out, um, a poster, an article. It was when blogging was huge, um, of different women sharing, vulnerably sharing their stories. And so eventually we met. And because I do event planning through Messy Beauty and other things, um, I really wanted to do a fundraiser with them for for um, a cause they cared about. And once I got connected with that and seeing other women claiming their voices, we were actually planning an event. And it was called um, Pause and Present. And it was the idea behind it that we came up with was um, pausing around Christmas and being present for ourselves and for others that maybe aren't feeling all the things of that are considered Christmassy feelings. And as we were planning it, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Basically, I'm planning this because of my story. Why wouldn't I tell it? Hmm. And so I did, and I haven't gone back. And then through their encouragement, um, you know, I wrote my first piece. I wrote a letter to my mind, which actually, because <laughs> I have to be different, I guess, but writing a letter to your mind from your mind is <laughs> not easy. <laughs> So I did that and then um I w- I was that was a beautiful thing and I had so many people reach out and I wanted to do more but I felt a lot of writing made me made me anxious and I over edited and that kind of thing and I was like can I just talk and so they're like well we've never had vlogging before but you can absolutely cuz I I I like being, I felt like I wasn't wordsy enough with my words, but if you could see me in person, then you could see, you know, that I'm okay, but I'm not okay, and I'm okay with not being okay. And so I think also that's what I needed. If I could have seen someone being real and talking about it in it, I find in the Christian community we talk a lot about it after, or we do events about it with about different things in mental health or touch on mental health, but we wrap it up in a bow or we talk so much about healing. And I would just leave those kinds of events like bawling because I'm not what's wrong with me, right? And will I ever have a story wrapped up in a bow? And is that my goal? And if that's my goal, I'm not going to get better, right? I'm not... And there's this myth of being completely better. And until I started understanding that this is a part of me and I can't separate it and I don't know if I'm going to be healed how do I you know live out my best life um with this how do you how have you been handling that lately (laughs) yeah well it depends on the day but um yeah I'm just I just try to do the next best right thing for, for me or for my family. And um, I just, I say yes, despite my fear, um, especially in, in this arena. Like who plans <laughs> to work and speak in and talk about like what used to be, used to be your shame story, right? Who, that is not, I don't know anybody that's like their life plan. And so, um but honestly, as terrifying and sometimes I overanalyze after, it's actually healing and gives me a little bit of energy um, speaking about it. So back to your question, I feel like I'm 
all over the place, but um, yeah, I'm I'm doing. I still it turns out that my personality is still to do all the things, but in moderation. And I sleep now. Thank you, medication. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> right, biggest thing, biggest thing for yeah. me, and for I mean, I'm sure most mental illnesses, but bipolar, ex- especially. Um, but I I don't take on all the projects. I've kind of found the balance of of what is enough with event planning and things like that. It's feast or famine, right? Mm-hmm. Like full on or full off. But um, I'm doing those things. And then my career is as a teacher. So I do that, but I don't um, do anything, one specific thing or have to be in one specific place full time. I think that that really helps me. I think I feel... Um, when I feel constrained or if I feel like I have to be doing something every single day that's the same, I don't do well. So luckily, I'm privileged that um, I can do that and I can go to work when I want and not work when I want. And so finding my own rhythms and doing things that makes, you know, my heart and mind come alive and just the She Loves community and we have a membership community called the Dangerous Women. And um, those, just talking to those women, they're the most real and authentic women. I didn't know we could talk like this about about our, our real thoughts, especially to, I mean, some are, some aren't, but to women of faith, I didn't know that I could be brutally honest about the shadow side. Mm. So I think all those things, finding my right balance, not being constrained. And I always just tried to do things the way I thought they were supposed to. Like, you are supposed to go to work these hours and you are, you're a productive member of society if you were doing this. And you should be volunteering in your church this way. And I realized that uh, that isn't true. And there isn't a, a, you know, a stereotypical right way to do things. There's a right way for me. about storytelling um you mentioned earlier that when you started to think about telling your story mm-hmm. you got some platitudes in that but how how have you reconciled your your own journey of faith mm-hmm. with your diagnosis because you we tell ourselves stories about who we were mm-hmm. who we are and who we want to be mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah yeah i think that's definitely uh, a work in progress um I think that I go through, you know, stages. It's not, you know, I'll share how how I've come to the the good places, but I do want to recognize that there are dark moments and there are begging moments and there are, you know, why me bitter moments. But I think, I think every time I've thought maybe, you know, I'm abandoning this faith and this was given to me on purpose and all of those things, I just... I just couldn't do it. I was drawn to to love, and I don't think that, um, yeah, I just couldn't walk away from the from the Jesus factor. I just saw, I knew there was a different way to see him, and I knew there was a different way um, 
to meet him. And I think I met him even more, as cheesy as it sounds, at Crest, because it was the first time I was in a community where we were all broken. We were all broken. And honestly, when we showed up for our group stuff, um, basically, it was like a celebration. Like, you made it through the, like, bravo, good for you. And so I, I pictured Jesus doing that too. Like, bravo. Like, you have hard things, and I know, and I'm, I'm there in the hard things. And once I didn't think of him as a fixer, um, I think I was able to more connect. And again, connecting with um, women that asked hard questions. And as soon as I could say the doubts or the... Um, if I was prone to wander or things like that, as soon as I could speak those aloud, uh, I felt a tremendous closeness um, with God. I felt like he was like, hey, I'm big enough for this, right? Like, stop pretending. And I could say, you know, hey, I don't actually think that's, same way, or I don't think that same, I might not even think that same theological way as, as you. And I found a, a kind of people to talk like that about. And I found that very freeing because I felt like there was always, like I said earlier, I didn't grow up in a, a Christian home and I felt like there was like this secret or this, this door I couldn't unlock about being, you know, the good Christian woman. And I felt like, you know, God was just whispering, you are good. You exactly how you are. You are good. And so even when I still struggle, um, you know, I still have, I don't experience much of the depression at all, but I do um, experience some hypomania and anxiety. And even in that, um, you know, I, I have to hold on to that I was made good. And I think as soon as I stopped living in the some, everybody experiences it a different way, but the I think that I experienced and, and maybe hung around with or, or there was Bible studies or things like that that just focused on how bad we are and how fallen. And, and I absolutely, you know, there there is shadow sides and there, there's truth to that, but I, I lived in that for too long. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in the, uh, you know, I I have to be working hard to do all the right things so that I'm not, you know, I'm not bad. And I'm not, you know, like, yeah, just because I would have really hard, dark thoughts. And I was like, oh, I must be like evil. Like maybe I wasn't really, do you know how many times I did the whole accept Jesus into my heart? Because I wasn't sure he was there. <laughs> like a lot of times. Okay. A lot of times. And in the middle of the night, a lot. And yeah, I think I'm still, uh, I'm still working on that. And I'm still trying to see, um, you know, when it's not too painful, I'm trying to see where Jesus was in all those times that I, I couldn't, didn't feel like I had access. So what would you say mm. to someone who maybe is not able to sleep right now and thinks that if they don't get a good night's sleep, they're going to die? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe a mom with small kids who's just realizing that their struggle might be bigger than they know how to handle yeah i think um i think the number one thing that i would say is hold on i'll just say hold on 
hold on. And if you can't hope, find someone to hope for you. And I, I think that I would say, I see you. And I'm sorry that it's so painful and dark. And yeah, just hold, hold on to hope or find someone to hope for you. And just same with if you can't, um, find your voice, find someone to, to, to fight for you until you can fight for yourself, depending on how deep you are, are into something. And there is absolutely nothing you can do <laughs> that, um, nothing you can do to stop being loved, right? If you're in a place of faith by God, but also by people that are committed to understanding you. And so, yeah, hold on. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's going to get better or I wouldn't say those things. I would just say, hold on. And I wish that I could sit and hold your hand in the dark with you. And I hope there's someone, you know, that can do that. And I would hope that that was enough that they would, yeah, I hope they are seen for, you know, who they really are. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It is not your fault. And hold on. We might as well end on a hopeful note here. <laughs> Can you tell me about some of the gifts of having bipolar? Yeah. Yeah, I can. It took me a while to, to come to terms with that. But I think it helps me uh, want to be a fierce advocate for others, um, you know, I just think these stories need to be told. I want to uh, smash stigma in in all the ways that I can, um, you know, by sharing through the things that I'm doing with Messy Beauty and, and saying yes to things like being on podcasts and such. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think another gift it has given me is I – of a lot of super creative ideas and um the cool thing about the hypomanic side or, or or that kind of side of me is that um to some people the ideas might seem impossible or they seem like too big to do but I think because of that um you know I feel a lot of urgency to do things and like they really need to be done that I don't give up Mm -hmm. until it's done which can be good and bad but i uh, if i believe it can be done and i believe and want to be a champion to other women and to um that those big things can be done because i think we think differently and i think because um we feel so deeply about things i think we're not over dramatic i think we just point to things um point society to things that are um that are painful and wrong and dark that maybe we do need to be looking at. Mm -hmm. And I think if I didn't feel deep sadness or deep joy or, or those things, I wouldn't understand the opposite feeling, right? Like I wouldn't be able to um, find deep joy within, you know, be, be within episodes. And I wouldn't understand deep joy if I hadn't had deep sadness. And I wouldn't um, understand peace if I didn't have debilitating anger and so yeah so basically like my creativity and my ability to see 
and just create space for brokenness. Mm -hmm. Messy. Find the beauty in the mess. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just quickly, mm. where do you see churches making space for mm. this, for this messy beauty, this gift? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Well, a couple practical things that, that I think we could do is, um, first start with language that we use in the church. Um, I think also just being very careful how we talk about faith versus fear. I think that there's a lot of shame, um, you know, when you think you can't have, have both. And I think clinical anxiety is a lot different than being uh, fearful. And so I think looking at how we talk about things with language, I think um, trying to create spaces where we just sit and not fix or give advice, um, trying to create, yeah, create spaces, spaces like that. Like maybe our groups don't always have to be, you know, doing a book or doing a study or having an expert um, storytelling in the church, not wrapping everything in a bow and, um, you know, telling stories that aren't, aren't, um, just about, about healing. And yeah, I think just making space for the hard, hard things. And honestly, just on a note, and this definitely has to do with sanctuary is like having training because people are more likely to go to a pastor or a leader in a church than the stigmatized therapist. And if you don't know about mental health, then you're not equipped and you can be doing a lot, a lot of damage. And I mean, we know that like, you can start off, I mean, there's some pastors in some churches that are like 20 years old, right? Like, and not to say that you can't know a lot, but I think there should be training um, for all, for all leaders and all also offer that kind of um, training and exposure to different stories um, for everyone in, in the church as well. And we know that there's a one in five and they are sitting in the pews right now why are we not talking about this more i think that it will be beautiful and i think we can get there and i think like jesus talked about hard things really hard things and he felt things i think that um yeah i think we need to to look at that side and then i think also it will draw other people to you know the hope and love if we can be real and show show our brokenness. I think the church should be the most messiest and that will make it the most beautiful. Thank you, Shaylee. Yes, of course. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to support mental health and well-being. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and for the stories of others as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those living with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, 
The course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for all of us to share our mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. You can learn more about the Sanctuary course and Sanctuary's other resources at sanctuarymentalhealth.org. I'm your host, Sarah Kift, and I'm thankful for the people who helped make this episode happen. Music by the artist Crash by Car by archive.org, and all funding and support by the team at Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like. <laughs>